That was the J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut. I am Rachel, and I have worked with film in Canada and in Sweden. I'm passionate about movies around the world and from the classic era. And I have other people with me. Shout out and introduce yourselves. I'm James, content creator extraordinaire. I release music under the alias Boutique Paul, and I'm also one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I have an affinity for new Hollywood cinema, as well as lo-fi indie no-budget films, and I'm just happy to be here. What's up? This is Andreas, uh, creator and main editor of Films Fatale. Um, I love pretty much any type of film, but if I had to pick favorites, I guess I would say Art House. Uh, New Hollywood's pretty good too. Uh, genre stuff, pretty much. And speaking of genre stuff, we have a main genre that we're going to dive into this week. We're going to discuss animation. So let's talk about our favorite animated films of all time. But with stipulations. So the challenge this week, we wanted to list off our favorite or one of our favorite animated films, but the prerequisites included, it can't be a Disney film. It can't be a Pixar film. So even pre-Disney Pixar, it cannot be a Studio Ghibli film. So no Miyazaki, it can't even be a DreamWorks film. So if you really wanted to Shrek it out, you can't. Not even DreamWorks, you monster. <laughs> Not even DreamWorks, so we can't even go the B-movie route. So, But none of the other movies have Smash Mouth. That we know of. There, there might be something. Both the first two Shreks had Smash Mouth, right? Well, I mean, let's Nobody not Nobody remembers the second Shrek. <laughs> Outside of Puss in Boots. Pretty much. But that was the challenge for this week, so I don't think it was much of a challenge for us. I think it would be a great foray into the animated works that a lot of animators like Terry Gilliam and uh, Ralph Bashke might discuss, but the overall mainstream world doesn't give enough love. So, Rachel, what was your pick for a non-everything-listed-above type of animated film? Well, I had another movie all prepared this week and I was thinking about it. And then this afternoon I was stumbling on Netflix and I found a 12 minute film that absolutely shattered me. It's animated and it is called If Anything Happens, I Love You. Have either of you seen it? I have not. Why does it sound familiar? It just came out this year and I will just put a content warning up ahead right now. It's in the Netflix summary, so I feel comfortable spoiling it. It is about school shootings. It's terribly sad, not graphic, but very, very sad. Oh, wow. And it's this incredibly beautiful portrayal of grief. It's quite sparsely animated. There's not a lot of color, not even a lot of motion in many parts of it, and no dialogue and very little sound. So you don't have a lot to go on. And yet it's unbelievable what they managed to cram into 12 minutes. I couldn't believe how much there was in such a short film. It's been submitted for the Oscars as well for a short animated film, I believe. That's why I recognize the name. Okay. It's just one of the most accurate portrayals of grief I have ever seen. And the characters are so sparsely created, but they are so real. And you will recognize this family, even if you don't know them. I bawled like a baby watching it, and I recommend it to anybody out there. That's the beauty of short film, especially with animation, where you're conveying so much with so little. And with animation, you can go the artistic route, so even minimalist illustration. And I'm going to have to check this one out because short films, especially animated short films, usually can get you to a place that a lot of features or live action films just cannot fulfill. So you've sold me on this one. It's only 12 minutes, but I'd set aside a lot of time after to think. Fair enough. I'll have to check that out. What was yours, James? Thinking about it, it's really hard for me to pick anything 
I would consider greatest in animation just because I don't really watch too many animated films. But thinking about it, I had to go with 1973's Fantastic Planet. Oh, yeah. That is a good one. Tell us why you chose it. I chose it because, one, the animation style. I definitely appreciate traditional animation and just the kind of style they used for the film was really captivating. I also like the story because it's, it's, you know, a story that's kind of universal. You know, you're dealing with this planet of blue humanoid aliens and they brought humans onto their planet and they treat them as pets, which, you know, we've seen many iterations of that story. And more specifically, it deals with the, a young boy who becomes the main character. His mother is killed by three alien children. And then he's taken in by the alien's leader and his daughter and his daughter keeps him as a pet and he's got a collar on him to kind of keep him in line, but they don't realize there's some sort of defect in the collar. So when she has her time for education, they just trans, they transmit the information to (laughs) these kids brains and he picks up on the signal. So he's learning everything about their culture and history and basically everything about them. And then eventually she gets older and doesn't make time for him. And she's kind of bored with him. So he eventually escapes finds another group of humans and then oh by the way he actually steals the headset that she uses to do her education she goes to this group of humans and then starts teaching them everything and then eventually they get to the point where a lot of them escape start a rebellion and they actually overthrow these this alien race which is kind of interesting because these aliens are giants compared to them they're like tiny but they you know they figure out how to build their technology and they end up building rockets and they end up i think killing one of them if i remember correctly and then eventually they're trying to escape to the moon of this planet and um, i'm a little fuzzy because i haven't watched in a while and what transpires along close to the end but eventually there becomes peace between both of the races and yeah, it's just a really good movie. I bought it on a whim just because it, it was on sale during Criterion Collections uh, Barnes & Noble sales. So I just bought it half off. Was it a blind buy? Yeah, it actually was. I mean, I'd never seen it before. The only image I'd ever seen is hip-hop producer Mad Lib uses a picture of the alien on one of his album covers. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. I don't. I think it was, I want to say it was a, one of the Quasimodo albums, but I just always thought the image was interesting. And then when I saw it, that it was from a movie, I was like, oh, what's that? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, falls in line with what I already like. It's from the 70s. But it is also really interesting just because that kind of art in a period where counterculture was a big thing. It's also a French film. And I watched it in the original French with subtitles without realizing or actually forgetting they actually have an English dub on it, which it wouldn't matter which one you watch because it's all a narrator. Yeah, I personally love Fantastic Planet. I think... It's one of those films that a lot of universities or colleges insert into their curriculums because it just is so different. Even with everything before and everything afterwards, it really sits alone as a singular film. Like There's nothing afterwards that feels quite like it and nothing before that it even relates to. It was always a film of the future and nothing has really kept up with it. It's a really unique experience. And I love Fantastic Planet as well. Rachel, have you seen it? No, I haven't actually. Um, but now that you guys have described it that way, I'd like to take a look for it. You said it's Criterion? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good to know. It's interesting because I remember when I first saw it, I was in my undergrad. Um, it's one of those films where you can't 
believe how much weirder it's going to get. And each sequence outweirds the previous one. So it's like, wow, they really have an imagination with this world that they've created with these endless uh, creatures and uh, ways of living. It's really inventive, this movie. Yeah, it's definitely really unique. And like like you said, Andreas, there's nothing really that's come after it or anything that was around before it that kind of matches it, it kind of sits in this space where it's its own thing and it's also something it doesn't it doesn't feel dated even though you can tell the animation is older it's one of those movies that i would say is truly timeless that's a compliment yeah and i i i wholeheartedly agree and i feel like and i hope that the film that i've selected also retains that title as being timeless a film that I've selected is by a director that I feel had a previous kind of reputation because of his short film work, but now has taken on like a Chris Marker of the animated world of sorts. I feel like uh, Don Hertzfeld has become this completely <sighs> renowned uh, artist of our age. And he really is like a mixture of Chris Marker and, um and david lynch and he's his own person entirely and if it's not obvious at this point what film i have selected it's his only feature film it's such a beautiful day which is a collection of three of his shorts and i adore this film unlike any other it is in my top 10 favorite animated films i've ever seen and it's certainly the highest of the criteria that we've selected for ourselves this week and if you haven't seen it it's barely an animation it's a lot of still shots of stick figures kind of gazing off into the distance looking at their feet not really doing much but at the same time it speaks volumes about everything so without spoiling too much you're essentially in the head of this gentleman named bill and everything you see is from his perspective and his brain is slowly dying And without giving too much away, that basically breaks the mold of what his life represents in his mind. And everything is uh, narrated very drone-like by Hertzfeld himself, as if this guy's life is the greatest creation on Earth, but it's also the result of monotony. And I could tell from the the reaction, Rachel, it sounds like you've seen it, right? Yes, I have. I I love Hertzfeld in general, although my favorite of his is The World of Tomorrow. What I love about him is that even when it's very simple, his work always makes you think. You're always pondering the very big questions of this world. And even his Simpsons couch gag is like that. I I just can't get enough of Hertzfeld. Yeah, even like the Simpsons couch gag in like, what is that, the span of two minutes? It's so absurdly hilarious. But untouchably heartbreaking like the part where the alienoid um homer and and marge uh somehow recite to each other that they will always love one another mm-hmm. that's really devastating because it's not just love it's the simpsons have mutated as a franchise into this unrecognizable being like ten thousand years in the future or something exactly like they will forever be there for one another regardless of how capitalism and the greed of Fox has destroyed who they once were. And you get all of that in like the weirdest ways and not many people like can do what Hertzfeld does. So imagine that for an entire film, which he basically animated himself. 
He's wonderful. Using a camera, no less. Not even like digitally. It's like by hand. It's pencil. Oh, wow. Like, the guy is crazy. Yeah, I cannot recommend this film enough. And his art style is so simple that it really deceives you at the beginning. Yeah. Like, again, it's stick figures and it's absurd stuff where it's like a guy who imagines that he's got a fish coming out of his head or this child with hooks for hands. And it's all stick figures and very simplistic animation. They don't really do a whole lot. But at the same time, you feel like you've watched an epic like Ben-Hur 30 times and you've lived 10 lifetimes watching a film like this. And it really is as strange as it is it's hilarious but also one of the most devastating film experiences i think i've ever had when we were talking earlier during my entry about how short films and animated films lend themselves well to this sort of economy of storytelling it has to be efficient it has to get a lot of messages out fast i think hertz felt really embodies that yeah and i actually thought you were going to select world of tomorrow that's why uh, when we prepare these oh it was in play <laughs> there we go um uh, for the listeners at home, when we prepare these, we try not to spoil our picks, so we go in a little bit fresh. But we have this system where we give out the year of release, so that way, if none of us have the same year, we know we haven't selected the same film without spoiling what we have. So when, Rachel, you said yours came out recently, I said, uh, or it was like this year, I was like, is it perhaps World of Tomorrow 3? <laughs> so I oh, no, no, I haven't there. even seen that one yet. No, I was going to pick Persepolis, but that one's so basic. Like, not not basic as a movie, but it's such an animation staple. It is. It's a it's a great film, though. Yeah, one of my all top ten of any type of movie. But I decided to go a little more, a little newer, and a little less known. Fair enough. So now that we've given our picks, let's discuss the pitch of the week. So if we're going with these eye opening types of animated films, which is what we've all succeeded in in picking. Can we make a similar type of animation, perhaps from a director who doesn't dabble in this field often? Let's get let's get wild. What is our pitch of the week? Who's making our trippy animated film? An Who's animated version of the quarantine that we all just went through. Okay, well, that's a start. <laughs> oh, wow. It's 2020 in an animated film, basically. There's so much potential. You go into people's minds. You've got all the society breaking down that we had with like all the toilet paper shortages. Okay, I don't know. So I can see something there. If that's the premise we're going into minds, for me, it's a no-brainer. Charlie Kaufman's making this thing. Yes, but he's going to need some artistic help. Yes. Yeah, so who's co-directing? Hmm. Can we resurrect dead people? Yes. Why I not? want to bring in Dali. Have you seen the work he did for Disney? Yes, yes. What's it called? It's, um, oh, they just resurrected that uh, for, uh, like, in the year 2000. What is it called? It's like the short film that they did. I'm going to Google it right now. Yeah, that that short is stunning. So, Are we restricting yeah. this to 2D animation? Not necessarily. If Dolly could be resurrected from the dead, perhaps he would dabble in 3D to get the real melting clock vibe going. Well, no, I was going to say Henry Selleck. Okay. Yes. Okay. Why not all three? Why not? Oh, or it could be combination stop motion, stop motion with 2D sets. Destino was the Dolly Disney film, by the way. There we go. Thank you. So, which that film that Rachel and I are talking about was finished by another filmmaker who wasn't Disney or Dolly using partial 3D animation. So that's not entirely far off from what we are discussing. So we can absolutely do that. 
Mm-hmm. Now, now, how would, would we arrange the story? Actually, first of all, who would who would write the screenplay? Charlie Kaufman. If he's oh, directing yeah, the thing, you might, yeah, well. he's directing, you might as well just you might as well just write it. Unless it's like a Kaufman Michelle Gondry type partnership again. Eternal sunshine of the quarantine mind. <laughs> Eternal sunshine of the 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 brain fog. Uh, who's going to be starring in us? What's the primary mind that we got to have a premise in? before we figure out who's in it? So that's true. We've got somebody who's quarantined, okay, and. So they can't see or talk to anybody. And they start going on adventures in their own head. Fair enough. Do they Bruce converge? Oh, oh, well, he's done something like that, hasn't he? My name is Bruce or something? Not necessarily. My name is Bruce is a movie where he plays himself and he's kind of dealing with issues he deal with a movie in real life. I see. Yeah, he comes across this kid who's like his number one fan who thinks he's the greatest actor <laughs> of the generation. And he they just get into some wild shenanigans with some like actual real life stuff that, you know, you'd only find in like Army of Darkness in like other movies like that. Another voice that I'm thinking of for this might be Will Arnett. Okay. And the reason for that is because he had to carry a 25 minute episode by himself as the only first, pretty much the only speaker in the episode of Bo- Bojack Horseman, the Free Churro episode. And he was able to sustain 25 minutes on his own. I don't think a lot of actors can do that, even as just a voiceover. I like the idea of both of them because they're both eccentric. I have an idea. Okay. H. John Benjamin. Yes. Okay. Okay. Scratch everything. We're going that direction. H. John Benjamin. Is he in Bob mode or Archer mode? Archer mode. Okay. Well, maybe Archer meets Coach McGurk. I like this. (laughs) okay so is his brain converging with other minds potentially like a hive mind of this this coronavirus world where he feels alone and yet he actually is tethered to other people it's charlie kaufman is that even a question of course of course but i just wanted to know how obvious it is like anomalisa or is it a little bit more abstract like i'm thinking of ending things hmm I'm thinking more quarantining John Malkovich. <laughs> quarantining John Malkovich. Oh, God. Yeah. So I'm almost tempted to just call it that and have him in it. Exactly. But there's the point is there's a whole world within his mind. Oh, goodness. What <laughs> if he was an anti-masker and he could reprise his iconic line by saying, It's my head, Doc. It's my head. <laughs> so, therefore, he's got um, autonomy of his own body and he doesn't listen and he gets coronavirus. Sounds about Maybe right. Maybe the coronavirus is the reason he's connected. Maybe. I feel like that movie would encourage idiots to go out and get it, though. Let's let's backtrack oh, yeah, a little that's bit. True. <laughs> because it's 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 encouraging and perhaps a little insensitive. We don't want this to be mm-hmm. offensively funny. So let's dial it back a little bit. Back to oh, the Archer actor. Um Sean Benjamin. Thank you. Let's go back to so, that direction. He's one of those unfortunate people who has to quarantine solo. Like, I've been through that. It's not fun. And there are people who have to be alone for weeks on end. And so they have this way of connecting to each other that they don't fully understand. And the course of the movie is them unspooling this through animation. And so they connect with people who are also trapped in this loneliness. I would watch this. I think we're done. What do you think, James? Maybe take a vignette approach and introduce other characters that are connected. Okay. Like they know they're connected, but it's like there's not much interaction in scenes together. It's just I don't know how to describe it. 
you can have like the guy who brings food once a week, the guy who calls in from the government and says, are you staying in your house? The thing is, because that's the only personal connection that this guy has, they embody everyone that this guy knows. So they start sounding like his mother or his ex-wife that he's broken up with. They start merging all of these perso- like uh, personalities, but they're, they're only two people that he's ever talked to in months. And when you're alone with that, your thoughts that long, they get really distorted and you start thinking over your life and people come back to you and you go a little bit wonky. So it would really lend itself quite well. I was also thinking one character could not speak English and HR management can't understand him, but they have some sort of understanding, almost kind of like Forrest Whitaker's character in Ghost Dog in the French ice cream truck driver. I like yeah. it. They'd, they'd interact won't know what each other's saying, but somehow the conversation actually resolves in the way it's supposed to. That's very Kaufman, and I'm surprised he's never actually done that in any of his films. I like that. I have one last request. Can the score be done by Flying Lotus? For some reason, I feel like that would work. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be bonkers. Yeah, I think Flylo would, would be the perfect soundtrack for that. Just as long as he's not directing this thing, because as we've learned, he can't really make a film yet. So I still haven't seen that. Don't don't do it. (laughs) It is garbage. But um, otherwise, I think we've got a hell of a picture here. And because it's Charlie Kaufman, we don't need a massive cast. He usually doesn't have a massive cast. So I think we're good. All right, then. Cool. But let's start to recommend real pictures so our listeners can actually watch this stuff. Hopefully five years down the road, this actually happens. And we prophesied it. That would be cool. But for now, these are our recommendations of the week. James, what is your pick for your recommendation? I'm going to go with The Guest by Adam Wingard. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's a really very well done throwback to 80s thrillers. And I'm just a fan of Adam Wingard in general. I think... So I haven't seen Death Note and I know everyone says it's garbage. He definitely has skills behind the camera. He also did a really good job of kind of derailing the trend of horror and thriller movies that had kind of come before him where it was just all it was all the blood, gore and extremist stuff. You had the, you know, like like when Hostel was popular and stuff like that. You know, he took actual storytelling approach and it wasn't all jump scares and gore. It was okay, there's a point to this, but just the acting, the story and the pacing was very well done too and I don't know, I just can't recommend it enough. It was also uh, written by his uh, freaking collaborator, Simon Barrett, who's a very, very talented screenwriter. Like, there are no lines that felt off. There weren't any really plot holes, which you typically find with the kind of movie that this is. And yeah, that's that's my pick. I, don't, I just think it's also, it's just one of those films, it's like, it's very entertaining. You don't need to study it. You don't need to, you don't even need to give, give it the praise that I'm giving it. It's just one of those, like, you can throw it on and never be disappointed. I guess one of those, I could literally watch that any day of the week and be totally fine with it. What about you, Andreas? I'm going to have to check out that film. I haven't seen it. My pick's a little bit more on the nose for anybody that knows me. I've just had it on the brain a lot. Um, I adore this film. I'm going with Beau Travail by, by Claire Denis. It's the greatest film she ever made. And that's saying a lot considering her filmography. It's a very loose take on the Herman Melville book or um, story, Billy Budd, with kind of like an extension of the homoerotic themes and a modernization of what the uh, the story was depicting with authoritative order, uh, uh, smush, smashing together with lust. And 
I love her operatic approach to the film. Uh, it's almost like this is like her achieving her most mainstream type of picture in her own way with how bombastic the picture is, but it's still extremely art house. Um, obviously it boasts one of the greatest endings of all time, which if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to spoil, uh, but it is one of my favorite musical moments in a film ever. And it stars the completely unparalleled Denis Levant, who is possibly my favorite song and dance man in contemporary cinema. And I love anything that that guy does. Uh, if you haven't seen Beau Travail, um Criterion just recently released it. It should be on the channel, I believe, as well. I highly recommend it, especially going in as blindly as possible. It's very short. It's one of those films that you can't really put a label on because it's just pure cinematic perfection. Rachel, what have you selected this week? Well, Andreas, you had me sold at Song and Dance. Well, I'm going to go back to animation. And this is another movie. I had like four or five movies on the brain this week for this episode. But this one was called Ethel and Ernest. And it's by Raymond Briggs, who did When the Wind Blows. Did any of you see When the, when the Wind Blows? I have not. I think okay. so. Which okay, well, it's, it's an animated version of a nuclear war in England in the 80s that affects old people, including, and so he based the characters in this movie on his parents. So anybody familiar with that movie would recognize Ethel and Ernest, which is the real story of his parents. So if you're a Raymond Briggs fan, it's a really good thing to see. And so it starts in the 20s, and it's a young lady's maid meeting a young laborer, and they fall in love. And then they get married, they go through the war, they have a son, they raise him, and they go through all the massive changes that happen in Britain between the late 1920s and the early 70s. So it's a really good view of Britain during that time. And also just this adorable love story of this couple as they meet and grow old and raise their son. And it's just, it's a really lovely little slice of life. And I would definitely recommend it. I recognize the story name because the author also did The Snowman. So th I, I believe that's where the connection is. I've not that's seen right. either. I'm going to have to check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely have to give that a watch sometime. Perfect. Well, it's only fitting. Thank you, Rachel, for ending us on an animation note. Uh, please let us know what your favorite non-Disney, Miyazaki or Ghibli, DreamWorks or Pixar animated films are, ever are. Uh, and you can the, do that by commenting on social media or DMing us directly. We're on yes. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you go. You guys did my work for me. <laughs> but for now, that was the K-Cut, and now this is the L-Cut. <laughs> <laughs>